Okay, here we go. Pesach is on the way. We're on our way to freedom. Well, but it doesn't feel so free. What's this whole redemption thing about? Isn't freedom supposed to feel like freer, less complicated? Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Hey, Consciously family, welcome back. Okay, we're going to talk about something really important today. We've been talking, I've been thinking a lot about marriage and relationships, different things like that. Specifically, because some people I really care about recently have gotten married. Uh, It's been a topic of conversation in my universe. And because I actually recently celebrated, we celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary, which is really remarkable and cool. So I've been thinking about it a lot. And uh, that's what's on my mind. So that's what I share in the podcast. But first, before we get into today's episode, I want to welcome everyone to the Consciously Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to ask you to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or whatever you listen to your podcasts. You can also give us a review, and you can give us five stars on Apple, and that helps other people hear about the podcast. Also, it's really, really useful if you share our podcast with people that you think would be would benefit from it. That's like the most useful. The other stuff I don't really care about, but there are great people out there who would really benefit from hearing this. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but or maybe they would just like it. So, uh, you know, give them a chance. Uh, also, uh, check us out on social media, Light Revealed, on Instagram and Facebook. You can also check me out on Instagram, though I stopped posting there because, I don't know, it was tedious. But you can reach me there, Menachem Puzz, at Instagram, but the Light Revealed, at the Light Revealed. Uh, great content. We're actually, as I mentioned uh, last time, we're putting out this cool little pamphlet on Sirius Omer, which is an edited version of last year's Sirius Omer posts from The Light Revealed. I think you're going to like it a lot. I'm going to send it out on WhatsApp, and if we're not connected, definitely email us at consciouslythepodcast.gmail.com, and uh, we'll try to get you that. It's I think it's really cool. Uh, also, check out our books, Stepping Out of the Abyss, Jewish Guide to the Twelve Steps, and Consciously Six Steps Living Vibrantly, vibrantly with Our Creator. And as I said, you can reach us at consciouslythepodcast.gmail.com or, or on Instagram at The Light Revealed. Okay, so this is what I want to know. If relationships are complicated, why are they worthwhile? Like anyone who's been in any relationship knows that that inherently within the relationship are struggles and complications. You know, there's the early phase of a relationship where it seems as if this person is going to be the everything that I always wanted. And then you find out that even though they are the everything you always wanted, there are moments where you want to like pull your hair out dealing with it. And why is that worth it? I was recently having a conversation with somebody in a group and they posed the question, why are kids worth it? Now, even if you say, well, I have kids now so that they'll help me later. And that's part of the family system. If you think about it logically, he pointed out that, you know, the money you would save not having kids could be used to hire people to take care of you. So why is, why is it fiscally worth it to have children? And how does that help us kind of, why, why do we do that? Why do we have kids? Why is it worth the struggle? And then that kind of led me to another question that has been, that's always kind of been on my mind uh, related to Pesach. So, you know, Pesach is a celebration of the time that God redeemed us from Egypt. He took us out. We were, we were, it's the Chag Hagaula. And 
but one of the things that occurs is that we transition from a state of servitude to Pharaoh, right, to the Egyptians. We emerge out of the Metzar, out of the constriction of Mitzrayim, and find ourselves quickly the servants of God. Why? Why can't? Why couldn't we transition from servitude, from Pharaoh to freedom, like to doing what we want? Why does it have to be about? servitude, one state of servitude to another state of servitude. In fact, when the Torah discusses the laws of a Jewish bonds, bond servant, right, where a person becomes a servant temporarily, right, Jews are not allowed to be, we're not allowed to take on servants permanently. There's a kind of structure there, but that's a different story for a different day. But conceptually speaking, there's an idea of kind of subjecting oneself to a state of indentured servitude for a period of time, right? And at the end of the initial six-year period of servitude, uh, the person's supposed to leave. They're not supposed to be reliant upon their master. Now, the, the, the mechanisms behind that state of servitude is because the person's come to a place of abject poverty where they, that led them to a place where they had to steal, or they've come to a place of spiritual poverty, and therefore they need um, influence. So the master is the, the, the person who's in a more abundant state is implored to take upon this person to take them into their house and train them how to be a better person. And we could talk about the ins and outs of uh, a society that includes slavery and all that kind of stuff, servitude, slavery. There's a lot of really cool discussions to have there, but if we're just kind of drawing the spiritual ideas from it, right, we can, we're looking at it as if the person's in a place of scarcity, of, of denigration, and we're trying to uplift them through the act of service, through dedicating oneself to someone else's cause and not having to worry about responsibilities. Like he doesn't have to pay his bills, the servant. His family comes with him to live in the master's house, and all he does is just work and do his job, right? Which is a very pleasant thing to do, actually, sometimes to kind of stop worrying about everything and just kind of do your job and not worry about the bigger picture. However, at the end of the six years, if the servant wants to stay, Right there is a process that he has to go through, where right his 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 ear is put against the door, and they they pierce his ear, because the Torah tells us that there needs to be a reminder to this person, right? Even though that's actually not permanent servitude, because the person only can stay a servant until the yovel, until the fifty year cycle of yovel, right? So no one can stay a, ser- a Jewish person can't stay a servant forever. However, the Torah wants the person to remember to be reminded that he heard that he is no longer the servant of a person, but rather he's the servant of God. So the issue here is that a human, the, the concept here, the theme here, the spiritual theme here is that on the one hand, it discusses the fact that one human should not be in servitude to another, right? And on the other hand, it alludes to the fact that the alternative to servitude to another human being is servitude to God. And the question that begs is why? If Pesach, is the Chag Hagaula, then we should be free, not just transitioning from one state of servitude to the next. So that leads us to question, well, what is redemption, right? Well, obviously it's not what we thought it was, and what is freedom? Because obviously it's not what we thought it was. So we have to really examine the whole thing. So there's a beautiful passage to take us in a different direction in the 15th chapter of Tanya, and he quotes a Pasuk in Malachi, it's Malachi Paragimel Pasigudchas. It says, Vishavtim Varisim, Bain Sadikler, Bain Rasha, Bain Ovid Hashem, La Sherlo Avdo. 
This is a promise that God makes, that you will see the deparation between the wicked and the, and, and, the, and the righteous, and between those who serve God and those who don't. Now, the Alter Rebbe asks a very interesting question. He says, it seems redundant, right? Because if a tzaddik is someone that serves God, and a rasha is someone that doesn't serve God, then why does the Navi have to repeat himself and say, Bain ovad Hashem la'asher lo'avdo, right? Between he who serves God and he who doesn't serve him. Right, so it says just. To, I don't think I translated, right? And you will return, and you will see between the between between the righteous and the wicked, and between those who serve God and those who don't. Right. So what's the redundancy? What's the message there? So the Tanya explains that you have the obvious separation between tzaddik and rasha, between a wicked person and between a righteous person. Right. And part of the promise of redemption is the transition to a space where what's right is right, and what's wrong and what's wrong is wrong. Right. Part of the inherent process of living in Gullus, living in a, in a constricted state, is that it starts to get confusing about who's right and who's wrong. And the people that we sometimes put up on pedestals and who seem to be on an elevated level sometimes really let us down. And the people that are seemingly in a negative space are really actually not in a negative space, right? So we're kind of losing sight of things. And then the people that are abjectly bad, right? Sometimes it gets confusing and we, are, are they really bad? What's really going on? You see that today in this situation, not to get a political thing, but in the situation in Ukraine, you know, it wasn't 15 minutes ago that there was conflict about whether Putin was a good guy or a bad guy. But now it's very clear when a guy bombs a maternity ward, that's bad, right? <laughs> that's obviously bad, objectively bad. Okay, but but there's moments where we're in a state of confusion. Okay, so part of the promise of redemption is clarity between what's righteous and what's wicked. But what's this la'ovid Hashem la'asher lo'avdo? So the Alter Rebbe points out that the separation between the Ovid Hashem Lashar Lolovdo is talking about two good people, right? They're both doing the right thing. They're both living properly. One is Ovdo, and one is one is an Ovid, and one is low Ovid. One is not working, right? One is pushing the limits and boundaries of his abilities, taking things constantly to the next level, and the other is just kind of skirting along on the abundance that he's been given. And what the Tanya alludes to over there is that that's really the ideal that we're all trying to, to work towards, to be an Ovid, right? To always constantly be moving to the next level, to be upping the ante, to be seeing each moment as an opportunity and a calling to grow just a little bit more. And I think in some ways we can all get caught in the, the trap of wanting to be the low Oved, of the, the fantasy of finally getting to a place of spiritual elevation, of hitting a buzz that we could just maintain forever. When in fact, the, the great promise of spiritual development is that it never ends. There's always more to be revealed. There's always more to see. There's always more to go. There's always another opportunity. You see a similar frame in the recovery concept. One of the things that happened to the early, in the 12-step recovery kind of story, the journey of 12-step recovery, individuals, right? One of the things you see in the early phases of that movement was that people were not able to maintain their sobriety over extended periods of time. And one of the things that the 12, the novel things of the 12 steps unearthed was that the real, really the only path for sustained recovery over extended periods of time was a person transitioning their mindset from a place where they saw their alcoholism or their addiction or whatever their problem was as a liability that they had to overcome and instead saw that their alcoholism or their addiction or whatever malady they were struggling with was actually an invitation 
and an opportunity to be of usefulness and service to those who were still trapped. And that as long as the person stayed focused on A, right, and we talked about this in the 12-step series, if you want to go back, working on themselves constantly, developing themselves, clearing away the kind of wreckage and negativity that was manifest through some of their still yet defective aspects of their character, right? As long as a person's focused on that, kind of bettering themselves constantly, and also constantly reframing themselves towards how they could be useful to others, right? Both those who are sick and struggling with what they are struggling with, but also their families and also their community, that the person could remain in that state of freedom, be redeemed from that state of constriction of the addiction that they were previously in. So if we're comparing those two lahavdil, right, if we're making making a separation, but we're comparing those two, what we're what we can discover is that redemption is not freedom from worry or struggle, but rather redemption is a transition from a non-meaning centered life to a meaning and purpose centered existence of constantly overcoming our own limits and moving forward and utilizing the opportunities in front of us to be better and better people. That the Metzar, the constriction of Paro, of Mitzrayim, right, was that we couldn't move forward. We couldn't be anything more than we were. We were limited to what we could be. We were limited to being vehicles of another human being's agenda. And that's something the Torah never wants us to fall into the trap of. That the Torah says, well, you might go through a period of time having to do with some of your mistakes or some of your circumstances where you are in a constricted state where you need to surrender yourself to what somebody else tells you to do, right? Which is, a, which is a thing that occurs, right? Particularly in the early phases of a recovery process or a mental health recovery process, right? Sometimes people just need someone to tell them everything that they should do, right? That often happens when somebody's in a constricted or, or broken space. But then there's the transition to that space where now they can start to assert and manifest their own ideals and convictions into their lives, they can, be, they can start to become the person that they were destined to be when they start to own their own sense of missionhood and purpose. They can become who they are meant to be when they start owning the opportunity that God gave them when he made them who they're meant to be. And that goes back to the earlier question about why we have kids. The reason why we have kids is because life demands that we move forward. It's the nature of life itself. All species seek to perpetuate themselves whether it's reasonable or not. And when a, cease, when a species ceases to perpetuate itself, it ceases to exist. It's no longer an active part of the journey of life. Life wants to continue to go on. Life wants to push the boundaries and limits because God calls us to that. So when we perpetuate our families, when we grow ourselves, we are participating in the ultimate objective of why God created the world, the nisava hakadosh baruch olios ledir betachtonim, that God wanted a dwelling space in this lowest space of reality. By lowest, it means the most material, the most that space that would seem to be least godly and least spiritual. God wants to, us to to mine out the dormant spiritual value that's there, to uncover the gold and precious gems that are existing in the challenges of our lives, in the moments of our lives, to go just a little bit further to uncover something that's infinitely greater than anything we could have ever imagined. So this brings us back to relationships, and I think this is across the board. I've been thinking about a lot about the marriage relationship recently, but I think it, record, it, it applies to every relationship, to our parent-child relationships, to our friend relationships, to our mentor-mentee relationships, 
but definitely, definitely, definitely in a, in a marriage type relationship. You see, relationships, when they're at their best, they're challenging us to be more. If we were to find somebody that always agreed with us, always saw everything the way that we did, had all of the same intentions in all of what they do, we would never be given the opportunity to be more than we are. That when it feels like we're frustrated because why won't they just agree with me? Why won't they just do things my way? Why are they challenging me to be different? That impulse is the same impulse that says, when can I just hit my buzz and stay here forever? When can I finally be a low of though? Someone who's not an ovid, someone who's not an active participant in the outflowing that is creation, that is life. That inherently the, the, the bumps and bruises that occur in a relationship are the greatest blessing of all. We've talked about a number of times on the podcast, I've mentioned that in some ways, for example, an argument, a, a tense moment in a relationship is the greatest mind for connectedness and love. Because when things are going right and we lean into a relationship, it's natural. It's easy. We haven't affirmed our commitment to the other. We're just affirming our commitment to ourselves. But when things are kind of tense, when those we're in a relationship with challenge us to be more and we lean into that. We both affirm our commitment to them and also to ourselves to be more than we ever thought we could be. We affirm our commitment to God, to the universe, to life itself, to perpetuate, to be more, to grow, to advance, to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You see, even the universe itself is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's nothing static about existence. It's more and more and more. And that's why when you transition from a place of servitude to paro, you become a servant of God because those are the only two options. You're either serving somebody else's agenda or you are living up to and finally being a part of the universe and life which invites you in a journey toward more, in a journey toward being better and better. Now it goes without saying that the points that we're trying to make here aren't applicable when someone's in a relationship with somebody who's also not in that bilateral process of development and growth and doesn't have their best well-being at mind. When that's the case, when the person you're with is abusive, is putting you down for the sake of putting you down, or just trying to feed off of you, but not being enriching, then that's complicated and it's not safe for you to be vulnerable in this way. So we're not talking about that. But when a person, anytime a person's in a relationship with another, and that person has their kind of agenda and direction, their purposefulness, their meaning, the, the way in which life is begging and inviting them to grow. And that comes into collision, collision with your invitation from life to grow. There are times where those two invitations are seemingly in conflict with one another. It seems as if we are not free to be who we want to be. And yet what you will find out again and again is as you engage that process, life will invite you to be something greater and even more expansive than you could have ever imagined. And that is, I think, the most foundational message that we get from Pesach. The foundational message of the Chag Hagaula is the invitation to be more than we are. To take something that's Lechem Oni itself, to take matzah, which the, the Haggadah describes as Lechem Oni, poor man's bread, and, tra and transform it into Lachman de Meminusa, which is the bread of faith. To transform it into a faithful, redemptive article, to, to transform it into a mitzvah, to transform it into a spiritual entity. That's the beauty. We don't need to abandon the matzah we just reframe and then suddenly the matzah is something that it never was before suddenly being a servant goes from being the worst thing in the world to being 
the best thing in the world. If you wanted to play a semantical game, you could differentiate between the idea of a slave and a servant, right? Where a slave is someone who's being imposed upon and a servant is someone who's being offered the opportunity for meaningful service. So next time your kid or your spouse or your friend or your mentor, whoever it is that's in your life or your boss or your coworker challenges you, makes you really annoyed, you can thank them because they're giving you an opportunity to be more than you ever thought you could be. Uh, it's a nice idea. <laughs> Uh, have a good weekend. Thank you for joining the Consciously family. Consciously is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Consciously is made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family in memory of Tapora Bas Ravaro. Our producer is Morty Schwartz. Our audio engineer is Alps. And our artwork is by Tani Puzz. Our social media team is led by Tehil and Asanian with help from Zoe Poznanski. The assistant to the regional co-host is Shmaya Hanukman, and our music is by Eitan Katz featuring Zush. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please feel free to email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com or private message us on Instagram or Facebook at the Light. Like-